Hello, and welcome to Film Unhinged. My name is John Gillens, and on this week's episode, I'm going to be discussing primarily my review and, and opinion of the movie Ready Player One. My name is Wade Watts. My dad picked that name because it sounded like a superhero's alter ego, like Peter Parker or Bruce Banner. But he died when I was a kid, my mom too. And I ended up here, sitting here in my tiny corner of nowhere. There's nowhere left to go, nowhere, except the Oasis. A whole virtual universe. People come to the Oasis for all the things they can do. But they stay because of all the things they can be. I watched it just this last night and I, man, it was, it was definitely better than I thought it would be. Let's just jump right into my basic review and then I'll get into spoilers for it too later. I felt that it definitely was something that I was nervous about. I was afraid that it was going to be not, not too similar to the, to the book. And, and I really enjoyed the book. I know there's a lot of haters out there that didn't care for the way that the book was written. Um, honestly, I had a blast with that, with that book. It, it, kept my attention the entire time. It didn't have too lengthy of detail, uh, you know, and some people like to have everything specifically detailed out for pages and pages before they even jump into any dialogue. And I'm kind of the opposite of that. Give me enough detail to kind of orient myself in your world and then propel me forward. Give me story. Give me beats of dialogue and, and setup and, and, you know, narrative changes and, and climaxes and that sort of thing. So I'm, I was thrilled with the way that the book was presented. Again, I had some qualms about some of the ways that, you know, things were too conveniently done within the book, which made it really seem simple for, you know, outcomes to be resolved. Uh, but honestly, I enjoyed the book a lot. So going into the movie, I was, I was a little trepidatious. Like I, the only thing that kept me grounded and kept me excited about the movie was that it was directed by Steven Spielberg and that it was brought to the screen, but written by Ernest Klein, who also did the, the book. So I felt like if anybody was going to include what needed to be included within the storyline, it was going to be the author of the book. I really loved the opening scene, uh, the action beats, that one, including and, and and throughout the film, they they there's something about the way that you. I mean, this is a given. Steven Spielberg knows how to block a scene. He knows how to place things in front of a camera so that you are going to get the the best experience and the most out of what's visibly there. And something that I really enjoyed about this film was, and I and I knew that there would be so many pop cultural references because the book itself is specifically geared towards 80s references. And the movie includes a lot of 80s and 90s and other references throughout. But I felt like it, it did the best it could with giving us those details. And, and I, I thought of it in two different ways. One, 
you could either do it the Wreck-It Ralph way where they, you know, when Wreck-It Ralph was going to his meeting of, of being a bad guy, a villain meeting, and you see all these other video game villains that are in there, that was kind of a fun experience because you get to see these guys for the first time on a, a li- like a movie experience as opposed to just in the video game. Or you could do it with cameo or, or uh, in a way, if you think about it, like the movie Alien where you see some of the alien, but you don't see all of the alien. And it's more fun to kind of look for those instances as opposed to for it to just be blatantly right in front of you and, and obvious. And I felt like the way that they did it on that latter end, uh, was more fun because in the uh, future experiences, I'm going to watch this movie again and again, I feel like I'm going to recognize new and new cameos over and over, uh, things that I hadn't seen before in the first time around. Uh, so I really enjoyed the ways that they, they did that. There were portions of the way that the storyline was set up that I liked and others that I didn't like. And again, I get, I'll go into more detail within spoilers, but the relationship in the book is a little bit more drawn out and it's a little bit sped up in the movie. And I can see why they did that. I don't necessarily agree with everything that they did, but I can see the reasoning behind it because again, there's so much in that, in that book that it would be hard to cram even into a two hour and 45 minute movie where alone, let alone this movie is two hours and 20 minutes. So I can see where they had to condense and condense some things. But overall, let me just say that the visuals were great. The storyline was fun. I had a blast. There were so many moments that I thought, I can't wait to see how they're going to represent this. And they totally, you know, subvert my expectations and, and make it even better than what I initially I was hoping for. And so I, I felt like I came out of this experience <laughs> incredibly, uh, uh, giddy for lack of a better term. I loved the, the feeling I had. I had chills throughout my body throughout the entire film. I was surprised. I wasn't expecting all of that to happen. I don't remember the last film that actually gave me chills throughout the whole film. I have to say that I was a little nervous about the, the way that the graphics were going to be presented. I had done my best to steer clear from all trailers. And so I hadn't really seen a lot of the detailed, uh, avatars that were going to be represented on screen. And I've got qualms with the way that certain movies interject CGI or rely too heavily on CGI. And I felt like this was going to be maybe uh, too much in that vein and it was going to be distracting and, and not weighted when I mean weighted, I, I like I'm talking about in black Panther where you know that this is in the real world or it's supposed to be set in the real world. But then you see instances of black Panther jumping around and landing on things. And he's, he doesn't have the weight of a, of a real person. And so you can tell that it's art artificially created. Whereas in this, I, I didn't feel as much that there were moments that I, that took me out of it. But the other thing that kind of made up for some of those instances that it did take me out was that, you know, that this whole virtual realm is virtual. There is nothing real about it. So there, the weightiness of it didn't have to be there. There wasn't the interaction of real and non-real together too often. There were some instances of that, but not enough to take you out of it. And at least it didn't take me out of it. And I, I appreciated the way that they created the CGI for this film because it allowed, it allowed that sense of this is a video game. This is a virtual world that's not real. And I could, I could 
live in that world and understand it and accept it for what it was given me as opposed to trying to see something like Black Panther where they're they're trying to combine real with non-real and make the non-real look like real and it just doesn't cut it. So um, overall experience of my, my movie going uh, feeling of this film was great. I loved it. I thought it was a blast. Not that I'm saying it doesn't have its issues, but I had such a good time. I was really hoping that I would, and I totally did. And honestly, you know, it, it's been referred to as, you know, it's kind of like a Willy Wonka movie, right? And, and it does, it has that vibe in the book you know, totally had that tagline on it and it has that experience. But at the same time, I think it, I think it is innovative in its own ways. Um, and let's, let's just get into spoilers because I want to start talking about some other things that are a little bit more detail oriented. And I don't think I can do that so generally anymore. So just so you know, I felt like I love the movie, go see it. And it needs to be seen. This is a Spielberg movie. Of course, you know, and he's coming back to his like blockbuster roots. So, you know, after you've seen something like The Post this past uh, award season, that's a great Spielberg movie. But this one is old Spielberg, uh, like classic Spielberg. And it totally deserves to be seen in the theater and on the biggest screen possible. And I didn't see it in 3D. I can imagine it'd be pretty amazing in 3D. But uh, I just saw it in standard, uh, standard Showtime film. So... Anyway, let's get into spoilers starting right now. Okay, so let me get off my chest immediately the things that kind of bothered me about this film. I want to talk about the character Irock. Let's talk about him first because in the book, he has a, an actual relationship with both H and with Parzival. And in the movie, they don't allude to that at all. It's completely separate. Irock is this uh, henchman, uh, kind of like hired out henchman for Sorrento. And he, I feel like the, the, with taking that away from the film or from the, yeah, from the film because the book had it, it, it creates this, this separation, this emotional core that would be there that is not there because we don't have this relationship anymore. He's just this hired guy. Now, understandably, if you hadn't read the book going into the movie and you see this, it doesn't mean that much to you. But I felt like knowing who Irock was and is that it, it, it to me, it, it missed a, a vital step there. It missed a, this important connection that would have grounded these individuals a little bit more as opposed to being so disassociated from each other. The, uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about was Ogden Morrow as played by Simon Pegg in the book. He plays a little bit, bit more of a character. He, he has moments at the very end where he actually helps the top five, um, with their safety element, right? So they're, they're trying to, to win the, the Easter egg. And at the very end, they, they need a safe place to, to actually put themselves in so that they're not going to be distracted or hurt while they're in the game. And Agnamoro played that character who took them and, all, and collected all of them. And that's when the, the first time that they all meet each other in real life. And I kind of wish that Agnamoro had a bigger role. Now I understand where they supplanted that with that action beat when they're in the van and they're driving and they're being hunted by the, the IOI people that that added another action element to the actual film. So I can see where they exchanged hands with those, those elements. I just love Simon Pegg so much that I was hoping that he would be in the film more than he was. Um, and, and I, I get why they did that, but it's just a, a gripe of mine. 
The other thing that bothered me is that Daito, the Daito character. Now, in the book, a spoiler for the book, next few seconds, uh, Daito dies in the book in real life. His, 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 not his avatar, but his real life person dies in the book. And in the movie, he doesn't. And he, he does sacrifice his, his avatar towards the end as they're having their battle royale in front of Mount Doom. But it wasn't the same level of, of sacrifice that you would feel if it was the actual character, um, the, the actual person dying, sacrificing his life for you know, others or for whatever happened, you know, the, the villainy of Sorrento would have been cemented more had that happened again in the, in the actual film. And speaking of Sorrento, I really enjoyed Ben Mendelsohn. And unfortunately I feel like he's going to be typecast as this classic villain because he was the villain in Rogue One. He's the villain in this. He's been, I mean, obviously he played some kind of villain role in Bloodlines. He's, he's a great actor. I enjoy his villainy. I just hope that he doesn't just get stuck in this mode of doing villain after villain because I don't want those villains to blend into each other. I felt like he was a little bit different enough from what he did in Rogue One, but it could almost be said that these are very, very, very similar in, in tone and character. Um, not that it necessarily was written that way, but maybe just the way that he carried himself. It felt like it could have been the same person. You just throw a little Empire suit on him and he could have been playing that avatar from uh, Rogue One. Um, but I really enjoyed watching him in this and the moments that he did have in the book where he was just vicious with the killing of Wade's family, uh, uh, killing all the people that were in the stacks at that time where Wade was, was supposed to be. Um, I felt like he, he did a, an excellent job at, at really carrying some of that weight to really make me hate him. And, and there were moments that I just could not stand the guy. And it, I felt like it was effective. Um, and I loved, I loved the irony of his avatar because his avatar is this stoic looking rocks, solid superhero looking guy, which also kind of, uh, patterned himself. I, I believe after one of the Superman, um, there, I can't remember who's the artist, but they did the, the lineup. If you look at the justice league, uh, poster that they had for the movie. It was patterned after the same artist who did images of the justice league that were drawn or painted. And if you look at that Superman, he's very much the same way as that avatar setup. And the irony is, is that he is not a good guy. He is not this stoic looking individual that he kind of appears to be in this avatar fake virtual world. So I, I love those things. Um, I got to talk about some of the, the Easter eggs that they had inside this, um, the rev, uh, cultural, uh, pop-ups for, you know, back to the future. So of course the DeLorean and man, is it fun to see the DeLorean, that DeLorean, it, 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 it's just awesome that it's the choice of car that he chooses to ride in. Like, I mean, you know, if he had gone with speed racers car or if he had gone with, you know, some pole position car or whatever, it just, it would have been so run of the mill formula one looking thing. But when you go DeLorean, you get that classic look and it's, it's distinguishable amongst everything else that's on the screen. So I really feel like that's the reason why they chose that. In addition to Artemis's choice to ride on Akira's bike, which awesome. So, so awesome to see that in there. I have to, uh, also say that the 
Zemeckis Cube threw me off for a second. I thought, is there something I'm missing? Is there a thing out there that says Robert Zemeckis had a Rubik's Cube that he used on set? Or is there something that, you know, from one of his films that I didn't realize was a part of it? And apparently I've, I've looked it up a little bit and it, it seems that it was just a nod to Robert Zemeckis. It didn't have actually anything really to do with the idea that he had a Rubik's Cube. Um, you can correct me if I'm wrong, send me an email, but, uh, basically he just has this, this, uh, time travel device, which also is a nod to back to the future that allows them to go back 60 seconds in time, which I thought was a great little, uh, trick to throw into the movie. Um, the Holy hand grenade from the Holy grail, Monty Python and the Holy grail. And if you've read the book, you can tell it, the Monty Python and the Holy grail actually plays a much larger part in the book than it does actually in the movie. They don't utilize it the same way, except for this Holy hand grenade. Um, and that leads me into one of my other gripes in the book. The, the goal is to get these keys, which then open these gates, which then, you know, the key has a test. The gate has a test. And so you have three keys, three gates, and six ultimate tests that the character has to go through. Now, again, for time compression, they couldn't necessarily do six different tests, which I guess makes sense. But man, I was so looking forward to seeing what else they were going to introduce for every individual uh, test that was going to be produced. So instead, they do three ultimate tests. And the first test, it kind of caught me off guard with the idea that we're jumping right into this film and everybody's already knowing what to do to get the first key. They just need to actually win the the race at the very beginning. And that kind of made me sad because a lot of the fun parts of the, the opening of that book was to kind of grow with Parzival and understand how his crazy knowledge of Halliday would propel him to that stage where he could quickly get to the, to the answer before others did. And with everybody already there to kind of get that first key, I get, I get the option, the, the reasoning behind it, but it doesn't mean I have to like it. Right. Um, I like the twist that they did on how the, the race was actually done. And of course they take us through the, the craziness and the blocking of that scene for the action sequence for the car race at the very beginning, which was a blast seeing the King Kong and Jurassic Park or T-Rex and, uh, you, you, there's, RoboCop callbacks. And of course you get to see all the different cars that were there. So again, speaking of speed racer and pole position. And of course there was, um, among other things, of course there was a ton of things, but, uh, one of the other ones that I did see was the old sixties Batman car, which was a lot of fun. Um, so the second key I loved, oh my gosh, I sat there and I could not believe the direction we were going. And the fact that they introduced a, a live experience of being in the movie, the shining, oh, <laughs> I sat there and I tried to even control my emotions. I was sitting there I was bubbling up with, with so much excitement to see what they were going to do with going through the shining. And I haven't felt like that in forever. It literally made me feel young again. Like it, I'm not that I'm old, but it just made me feel super childish, childlike in a good way, not in an immature way, but like in a, in an exciting sort of way. And so when they play out the shining with the, they show the twins and then they show the blood coming out of the, the elevator. And then of course they show, uh, the, 
room 237. Oh, and, and then of course H who in their experience has not seen the shining. So doesn't know what to expect. And so, uh, he, she underestimates everything that's coming. And it's just so much fun to go through that experience and see the shining told through those eyes and to be part of that experience of going into the movie. That was such a blast. I loved it. All the little nuances of throwing Halliday into the picture where Jack Torrance would have been, uh, the, the new, um, section of going into the ballroom and dancing, all those zombies dancing, trying to get to the girl that he didn't you know, kiss. Oh, just so much fun. And I feel like it was better than choosing to, you know, run through the opening dialogue scenes of war games or to go through the actual scenes of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. The Shining was such a great uh, feature within this film. And it's kind of fun to know that there was an actual relationship between Spielberg and Kubrick when Spielberg helped take over AI, artificial intelligence back in early 2000. Um, and so like you, there was, there was that kind of kinship there that you could kind of sense. And so knowing that that was there, cause I don't, I don't remember in the book if they ever even mentioned the shining. So it was really fun that they injected that into this uh, film. And of course the other key had to be this eight bit video game off of the Atari. And I love that the idea that they would incorporate something like that, because it is when I read about it in the book, it was kind of like this boring kind of mundane opportunity to kind of experience him playing an eight bit video game. That's not fun. I didn't think that that would be an exciting way to, to visibly see that up on the screen, but it was part of that culture. It was part of the eighties. I remember having my brother, my older brother's Atari system and playing those games like pitfall and pole position. And so seeing this on the screen and of course him having to go through it and, and the explanation of it's not about having to finish the game. It's about the experience. And I feel like a lot of that is taken for granted. I mean, we live in this world where we have tons of technology and we are constantly consumed by it. And we're, we're, I remember being a kid and even looking at the game and saying, I got to finish the game. I, I never, I never realized some, during some of those games, how much it would be, how much fun it would be just to experience the game, not just to get to the end of the game and be done with it. And honestly, I feel like it took me a while to get there, but I found it with film I found that I would watch movies, not just to get to the end, but to relive that experience over and over just to be a part of it. And that's what I think that was being the, the deeper theme or meaning behind this film is, is that do things to experience, actually have experiences, but don't use it to supplant the rest of your life's uh, actions with just this one experience. Use this experience to propel yourself forward to other experiences. And, and towards the end, we, we see that they ultimately decide that they're closed down the, the Oasis two days a week, just so that people can force themselves out of the Oasis and into the real world and find where that real world is. Because too many of us get so caught up in, in the virtual sense of life, uh, that we forget the real sense of life. And I, I liked the theme. I didn't feel like it was heavy handed in its, in its meaning. I just felt like it was appropriate enough, especially, you know, I don't know, there are teenagers in my theater that probably wouldn't even sense what was being told. And I caught it and I, I'm glad I did. And it's something that I, I have to constantly remember too, because there are times where I, I choose to get lost in my movies as opposed to being caught up in what life gives me. So there's so many things that I could probably talk and keep talking about with regards to ready player one. Uh, I feel like 
oh, listen, let me, let me jump into one more thing before I end the relationship. There was something about the relationship in the book that really bothered me. I thought Artemis and Wade, uh, Samantha and Wade, when they would eventually hook up, it, it was about time. And it felt like she was really cold and distant in the book. And honestly, it kind of felt nice to see that she was a little bit more relenting to the relationship. Like she allowed this relationship to, to happen and form. And she f- had to fight against her own feelings, of course, a little bit in the middle there. But at the same time, she, she did have reciprocal feelings for him, which it, it just, I don't know, like, not that I, I need the romantic comedy section of this film to work, but it just worked better. I felt like in the film than it did in the movie, in the book. Um, I appreciated it more in the movie than it did in the book. I liked the change of how she was the one that ended up like being captured by IOI and having to conform to working in IOI and having to figure things out behind the scenes at IOI. I like that because in the book, it was a little far-fetched and again, too convenient for Wade to get captured and everything to work out just precisely for him to have whatever code was going to hack into the system, which was allowed him to, you know, disrupt the orb that, you know, surrounded the entire castle at the very end. So I, I, I like that this change in the material really benefited the story. It was not just because the medium depict, uh, depended on it, but because the story depended on it. It was better for the story overall. I felt like the depiction of the relationships between the characters were fine. I wanted a little bit more interaction. You kind of just jump into where Parzival and H are immediate friends. And, and that's fine because, you know, that's, that's kind of how it is in the book as well. But it just would have been more satisfying to kind of get more instances of seeing them hang out and be together and bounce things off each other. And, and, and whether it was a montage or, or anything, just something to cement that relationship a little further. But let me just end now by saying, what a fantastic film. I had such a blast. I keep thinking about all the individual moments. And I'm going to keep thinking about all these moments for a, a long time because this film really stuck with me. It I've been to films like, you know, you, you walk in, you walk out and the whole experience is done in two hours and it does, it leaves nothing with you. You carry nothing from it. And this one I've been thinking about throughout the night. I'd, I'd wake up and I'd be thinking of moments that happened in this film and it would just kind of reverberate through and bounce around in my mind. It was just a lot of fun. I want to see it again so badly. It was just a blast. And I'm grateful that Spielberg was able to pick it up and do this film. I'm, gr- I'm glad that he brought his sensibilities to the project, his, his sense of adventure. And, and think of how he's, I mean, Spielberg's got to be in his 70s now. And he's running around and, and making a film like this. It doesn't feel like somebody in their 70s making this film. It feels like he's youthful. He's, he's, he gets the, the identity behind the people that are, are in this film that are not his age at all. I mean, he's got some correlation maybe to where Halliday and Ogden Morrow are, but I love that he's able to kind of just reach into his inner child, inner teenager, inner, inner 20 year old, and just pull out all those points and elements that will entertain every age group. Maybe this might be sensory overload for a lot of people that are older than me, but I can, I can, I can't imagine not wanting to watch this movie again. And I'm grateful that I got to see it where I am in my life. Being that I am 
a huge fan of all things 80s. And so when, when elements like The Shining popped up, it was made for me. This film was definitely made for me. And like I said, it's, it's got his issues, but man, the, the, the pros definitely outweigh the cons. So see the movie, check it out. Ready Player One just came out. It's in theaters right now. And with that, we'll close. If you uh, have any feedback or suggestions on what to review in the coming weeks, you can reach me at filmmakerjohn, that's J-O-N-John at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at filmunhinged, and please rate and review me on Apple iTunes. You can also find me on Stitcher and Google Play. Every rating and review really helps spread the word about this podcast, so if you do so, I'd greatly appreciate it. Thanks again, and have a great week.